the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And we're going to be with him forever and ever because he has chosen to receive us in himself when we placed our faith alone in him. But you know, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Now, there's a couple of reasons we might be looking forward to going to heaven. Could be because we have a loved one that has gone on ahead of us and we're looking forward to being with that person. But I'm reminded of what Asaph said in the Bible. He said, whom have I in heaven but you and there's none upon earth I desire beside you. So his whole life was wrapped up around Christ. And yet it's so interesting how that the Lord, he says, I love you, but until you get to heaven, I also want you to have people that you can surround yourself with, people that you can love, people of what we call the community of faith. And that's really what we're studying right now. I've called this the DNA of a healthy church. And because we have those listening to us on the radio and on the internet, and we have some new folks that are here, let me just begin by saying that this series that I'm going to be concluding next week, Lord willing, is a series that the Lord has laid on my heart Oh, perhaps at the end of last year as I was doing the research to put forth a particular message on the DNA of a healthy church, I was not motivated because I felt our church was unhealthy or that there was isms and spasms going on in our church. I was really passionate because I believe our church is a church that wants to really learn what the Bible has to say, particularly about what a church should be and what a church should look like. But they didn't want to get it through some church growth book and they didn't want to just model themselves after another church. Our church wanted to know, what does God have to say about church? And we want to do business so we can become all that the Lord would have us to be. So the things that we are doing, and we learned that we've been doing that, we want to celebrate how that the Lord graciously taught those truths. Other areas that we might need to have a little bit of a tune-up, we want to thank the Lord for His grace and mercy as we move forward in that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You'll notice that I call it the DNA of a healthy church. That's a word that if you watch some of the television programs, especially those that are involved in law enforcement or police work or maybe even in the legal, they'll say, we've got to get the evidence and get that person and see if the DNA matches and all of that. Well, do you know what DNA really is? Some of you might because you've just recently studied that in your class or maybe you're in that in college or maybe you are in law enforcement and forensic. But DNA actually is, uh, and I'm going to read it right from the the book that I got it out of, it says that uh, it's nucleic acid that's present in the cells of all living organisms. It is often referred to as the building blocks of life since it encodes the, de- the genetic material that determines what an organism will develop into. In addition to maintaining the genetic blueprints for its parent organiza- organism, DNA also performs a number of other functions which are critical to life. In other words, what's in the DNA is passed down to the next generation, and so we become very much like that. When we work with youth, we'd have a parents' night, and when all the parents would come out, we'd try to match the kids with the parents just by what they looked like, and that came down by way of the DNA. Well, I call it the DNA of a healthy church because we know that the church is really the body of Christ. 
And so if we really want to know what is the DNA of a healthy church, then we're going to become very much like Christ and how he is here on this earth. Some people say, well, I, I can't see Christ. When, how could I see Christ? And the best way today that we could see Christ, other than looking in the word of God, is to say, look at the church. Maybe we ought not to do that because uh, sometimes churches don't really function like the body of Christ. So to do this study, I've been looking forward to this week and next week for the last previous seven weeks because we've been laying the groundwork for what we'll call five of the basic principles or the skeleton of what a New Testament, a biblical church should look like. And we began by talking about how that God, when he was talking about the church through Christ, he says, when the church is established, saying that uh, between the lines there, he said, nothing will prevail against the church. Even hell will not prevail against the church. That means once the church is established, no matter what happens, the church will always exist. And that's a beautiful truth that we have that will never be taken away. It was also promised that when the church was established, the church would have supernatural power in which to function and to fulfill God's commands. And so they would have that special power and that it was coming. We also learned that the church would be properly motivated. And one of the proper motivations was the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come back again and we have to give an account for that. And knowing that that's the case, then we want all the world to know about Christ and as many as God has would come to faith in him and that our job is to share the gospel with them so they can meet the Lord. So we have that proper motivation of seeing and being with Jesus again. But in order for that to happen, other things had to happen. When the church was established, the church then had to have what is known as proper planters. Now, a proper planter would be the apostles. It was built on Christ, Christ being the chief cornerstone, but then it was built upon the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers. And so it had to have the proper beginning with the proper planters. So we spent an entire week studying about what is an apostle and what qualifies for an apostle and who were the apostles in the New Testament time and then what were the false apostles and then some of the issues that was going on in the selection of the 12th apostle to replace Judas because we wanted to see how important the church was to be started by the right hand picked people by God to be able to launch this forth because from the apostles then the church was then continually being built. And then we learned about the presence of the Holy Spirit, that promised one that would come to provide power. It now does come. And when he came, what happened? And what a Sunday we had as we discovered how he came with a sound of a rushing mighty wind and how he came with flames of fire, like flames of fire, and then tongues would be there. And although we didn't talk about us speaking in tongues, but those people at that time did to be able to show that the Spirit came. And that was a transitional teaching because later on when the Word of God was completed, there was not necessary for that visible sign of the Spirit because then we had all of Scripture. So we talked about the power coming and the presence being there. But then we talked about the importance of preaching the Word. And so last week we studied how that as the church was begun, that the Apostle Peter was the first one to give the first sermon. It was his first sermon, the first sermon, and the first sermon that the church heard. We picked it apart to show you that if there was a model for sermons, it ought to pretty much follow the model that he did. There was an introduction, there was main content, there was a conclusion, there was response of all of this. It focused upon Jesus Christ, who he was, what he did on the cross, what he's going to do in the future, and to really be prepared for that. And of course, that wonderful salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone for the glory of God alone emphasis in that message so now that's happened and as you've heard read this morning verse 41 says they received the word and there were thousands of people 3,000 exactly that came to faith in Jesus Christ and at that time the New Testament church was born 
Now, if you recall, we said the DNA of a healthy church. Well, the DNA of a healthy church is found in Christ. So when you heard this morning that we're going to talk about the Bible, which we will in a moment, and the body of Christ, you're going to see how that goes together. Now, again, let me speak to those of you that are in transition, those of you that are maybe going to be moving off of island because of military or job transfers, those of you that are coming into the church for the first time or maybe listening on the radio and you're wondering, what about that church up on the poly or what would I be looking for in a church I might want to go to? What would I be looking for in a particular church? Well, there are many different benchmarks of what you should be looking for in a church that's healthy. But if I could take us back to, in hermeneutics, it's called the first mention principle, which means we go back to the first time it's mentioned. It's the way the Lord wants to set it in the right direction as he aims these truths. So what would be the foundation? What would be the source of the stream of the truth of what a church should look like? It would be this passage. And what's so beautiful about this passage, it's not one little isolated principle about a New Testament church. There are at least five of these. And if you took the time to pick apart different phrases, you could probably find 15 to 20 different benchmarks of what a New Testament church would look like. I've just selected five of them so that you could remember them. But because they're so rich, they're so powerful, and this is the message that we all need to hear, to know, and to believe, I'm going to spend just this Sunday on two, and then next week I'm going to conclude it with the final three, and then we're going to go into our Resurrection Easter Sunday morning message. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you like to open them up and follow along as we begin to teach the Word of God, especially on the DNA of a healthy church? Let's once again turn to Acts chapter 2, if you'll turn there. Acts chapter 2. And while we won't read the passage again because it was beautifully read by Greg and John, I do want us to be able to go back over this passage. If you came without a Bible, you can certainly pick out, maybe you've got a smartphone that's got it in there already. There's Bibles on, under the uh, chair, so you can pick that out. I'm using the New American Version just so you could have that if you'd like to have it. Some people say, well, Stan, do you think a big church is better than a small church? Well, I think big churches can have a lot to offer us. Some of those huge churches, there's many different facets. I would like to call them, they have many doors in which people can come into the church to receive the truth and to grow spiritually. So big churches have a lot more doors, and I don't mean physical plant doors, but opportunities, and so they are really good. I also know that in small churches, there's some great benefits in a small church. In many ways, in a smaller church, you get a chance to be loved and to love others. You know who's there, who's not there, and you get a really family, a ohana feeling with the people in a smaller church. So, Pastor, do you think a bigger church is better than a smaller church or a smaller church bigger than a better church? A bigger church? I really don't think size matters, really. I know some big churches that are not healthy. I know some big churches that are healthy. I know some small churches that are very healthy. And I know some small churches that are not very healthy. So I don't think bigger is better. I think better is better. And really, healthy is best. Now, logically, follow along with me for a moment. We're growing some... um, key lime plants in our backyard. They're like key lime trees. Someone gave us some key limes and my wife likes to start things from the very beginning. So I have little egg crates in the back and now they've kind of graduated up to other plants. Now I have other sizes. And what we've noticed is that some of them are growing real well and some of them aren't growing quite as well. And as I dig through the soil, I'm finding that inside the soil, there's some problems with it. And here's what I found. I found that things will grow and they'll grow very healthy and they will bear fruit if in fact they are healthy. And what makes them healthy is if there is balance in there. If the thing is balanced with the proper amount of sunlight, proper amount of water that goes on into this, and I'd like to say also the removal of anything inside the soil that would keep that plant from growing. 
And so when you have those things, it will grow. Listen carefully. You could read all the church growth books that you want on how to grow a church, but it's God who will build that church, and he builds it upon. Is the spiritual sunlight coming in? Is the word of God being taught for the nutrients? And is the sin being removed from the camp? So in other words, if we're balanced on the things that we do, we will grow. Now again, I can't make it grow. All we can do is create, watch this, an environment that's proper and healthy, and if we create the proper environment, sun, water, good nutrients, the thing will grow. You that are parents that have children, you know exactly what I'm saying. Your children will be healthy and they will grow if they have balance in them with diet, exercise, all the things necessary for them to become healthy, they will grow. And so God gives us the five, in this passage, five principles of what will become of a healthy church. And so let's look at those as we start in this passage. And I want to begin looking at verse 41 again. It says, 241 of Acts, since... So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And again, that means they believed in Christ. And because they believed, then afterwards they're baptized. I believe this is by immersion. Get last week's tape and you'll hear why I believe that in Scripture. And then it says, then that, that, And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So now what happened to those 3,000 souls? So now you have in a community all these people. What's going to happen to turn them into a viable body, a body life church? Now, verse 42, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's pretty much as far as we're going to get today. If you want to, you can take the, the word they and run it back to the verse right before it. So you need to know that a church is going to be made up of those who know Christ as Savior. So I want you to know that even before we get into the mechanics of the church, the people have to know Christ as Savior. So those of you that come every week, you've noticed that generally somewhere in the message or at the end of the message, I will give a simple plan of salvation that's biblical to make sure that you would know Christ as Savior. When you go to our Discover International class, one of the points we make is so you would discover what is our faith statement. We want to make sure that you know what it means to be saved. Why? Because if you're going to join the church, you need to be a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. God wants only Christians in that local assembly. In fact, to get into God's universal church, you get born again. To get into a church, a local church, you must be born again. But often there's other commitments. Commitment to the body, commitment to the word, commitment to sound doctrine, commitment to helping one another to grow and to outreach, these kinds of things. That's all part of it. So there's a they in there letting you know that it's made up of believers. And then it says they were continually devoting themselves. Now you might want to mark the word continually. It wasn't something that they did occasionally. It was something that they purposed in their heart. It was something that they said, this is what we will do. Excuse me, this is what we'll do. And we will do it on a regular basis. And how important that is. Now those that don't eat regularly, you know how that can be. It kind of throws your whole diet off. It throws your whole health off. And so again, you want to do it continually. But it says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I wanted to speak to that a little bit because there's some really important truths about it. So why don't you hold your place here and I'd like to give you what I'd like to refer to as the deathbed declarations of two apostles. One will be of the 12, Peter. The other is going to be the 13th apostle and I think the last apostle, which would be Paul. So turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3 and then if you're turning there, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the reason I'm saying that is if a church is to continually devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, in order for them to do that, that means the apostles have to do the teaching. So when you go to a church, you want to go to a church that will be actually teaching God's word. 
Now listen carefully. You know that the church was built upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. It was built upon the apostles, all right? And then from that, you had prophets, evangelists, and here's the phrase, pastor teachers. I think we could make a pretty good case to say that in many ways, pastor teachers are somewhat of a model of an apostle. Now, I don't want you to take it so far. Don't make that exegetical leap that pastors and teachers are current day apostles, They are apostles in the sense that like apostles were given to the word of God, ministering the word to people, making sure that they would bring people to the word and the word to people. Apostles did that part. Pastors and teachers are to do that. They're to communicate the word publicly, privately, to equip people to know the word, to teach the word, so that the word of God goes out. Now that's similar in why we see it together. I'm saying that to say this. When you're looking for a church, I hope you would find a church that wouldn't just give lip service to the word of God, but a church that would really teach you the word. Now, some people say, does it have to be a church that teaches expositionally? That means chapter by chapter, you know, verse by verse, you know, word by word. I would say that it's probably better to go to a church like that because in most cases, when you're reading God's word, as you read it verse upon verse upon verse upon verse, you are getting the scripture balanced and in totality. On the other hand, if the church says we will only teach expositionally, I don't see a mandate in scripture that you have to preach or teach the word expositionally. So when you go that far, now you put the people under what we might call the law, saying that we've got to only do it this way. This is the only way you can become spiritual. Let me use an earthly illustration. When you have an infection and you go to a doctor, what they're going to do is they're going to diagnose that infection that you have. Then they're going to prescribe the particular medicine that will meet that particular infection. When there's an infection in the body, there are times when a pastor or a teacher will need to open up God's word because there is a present distress going on for whatever reason that came in, from in or outside coming in. He then has got to go to the medicine cabinet and he's got to pick out the right particular medicine for the particular need that's there. When you're sick, you don't open the medicine cabinet and you don't stop at, start at the top shelf and you take that and then the next one, then the next one, then the next one, and then you go to the next shelf and the next one, the next one. No, you go to the right thing that will help you to relieve whatever suffering that you're going through. So there is a time for textual and topical sermons. On the other hand, for churches that are healthy and to build an immune system so you don't get so infected... It is far better than to open up your vitamin box and then take your vitamins, all the multivitamins that you can, so that all parts of your body are becoming stronger. In any case, you want to go to a church that publicly preaches the word deeply, consistently, and practically. You want to go to connection groups where it's the word of God on top of the different devotional booklets. And that if you're watching a DVD, that it's more about the word than it is about all the graphics that they would like to show you. So you you become word-based in this. It is important to know the word. I want to add one other thing. It talked about the apostles' teaching. Where did these apostles get their teaching? In other words, they're speaking, they're speaking about God, but was it sound? All right, if you will, look to 2 Peter chapter 3, and you'll see what I mean. This was Peter's deathbed declaration. I believe he was in a Roman prison. I know you're thinking of Paul, but in this case, I think Peter was. I think it was just before he was uh, martyred. I believe he was speaking to the Jewish, Jews, and Christian, or Jews and Gentile Christians, so it would be the church, in the area of what is now known as Turkey. And he says this in verse 1. He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. Why? It's 2 Peter. The other one is 1 Peter. In which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, which now tells me what he's about to say in verse 2 is something that he has already told them. So when you go to a church, occasionally you're going to have stuff repeated to you. 
When I was in Bible college, I was, um, my Bible doctrine teacher was one who was led to the Lord by Billy Sunday. Now that tells you how old my Bible teacher was, but it also tells you how old I am. And what he used to say is this when he repeated things. He said, repetition is like theological mucilage. Repetition is like theological glue. And then for us farm boys, he would say, the more mud you sling against the wall, the more that's going to stick. And so what he was basically saying is that it's important to put your people in remembrance of things because we easily forget. Now, what was it that they were to remember? Verse 2. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So when you go to a church, you want to make sure that they're going to use the word of God. Let me say it another way. The word of God with sound doctrine. Sound teaching. Now we know that there are 10 major doctrines. If you'd like to, you can get, I have a a book out that's called uh, The Fundamentals of the Faith. There's 10 doctrines. Now those doctrines, as they all wed together, we could call it systematic theology. So you know what the Bible teaches. So you want to have a church that teaches sound doctrine. They not only teach it, they don't only preach it, they will defend it no matter the cost and they will hold their communicators up to that sound doctrine that's being taught. So when you're teaching, you're teaching the Apostles' Doctrine, which is the Old Testament, which was written, which would be the words of Christ that they heard or the oral teachings of Christ until it was recorded in the canon of Scripture. They were going to be teaching God's Word, and you would know it. Not a point here and a point there like an old Texas steer with a lot of bull in between. It was going to be the pure teaching of God's word. So you want to go to a church that would do that. Go now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Remember now, Peter, who's now saying this to the crowd of Christians, you want to make sure that you're listening to the words of the apostles and where they got them. Now, Timothy cranks it up a notch, and he's not just speaking to those who are just Christians. Now he is equipping the next generation leaders who will be the ones who will speak the message. So you have the apostles, now you're having, having a battery of pastor-teachers, and that pastor-teacher tradition goes back 2,000 years, at least for the New Testament church time. And here's what he says to Timothy. And what a great word he gave to Timothy in chapter 4. And I want you to look in verse 1 as we go through this little passage, because it is so rich in what he had to say to them. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along, if you will. Paul now says to Timothy, Paul's deathbed declaration, the last letter he wrote that's in holy writ before he too was martyred. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, that means I'm telling you this and the Lord is listening, who is the Lord to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. And he tells them what to do, verse 2. Preach the word. So he says, I'm telling you this, the Lord is going to judge us, going to judge all of us, and I want you to know, this is your command, preach the word of God. And then if you go a little bit further, it says, be ready in season and out of season. Now here in the island, they have certain seasons for certain fish you can catch. On the mainland, they have certain seasons for deer that you can shoot or whatever they do to deer to get deer. But the word of God has no season. In fact, in my margin, I wrote, it's always open season to preach the word of God. So he says, preach the word. But go on. Drop down to verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You may, if you want to, scratch out the word will and put the word has come. Now, I don't want to do do despite to the word of God, but I believe we are living in a day when the word of God is going forth, but it's not done with good, sound study, and the doctrine isn't accurate consistently. But what do they do? 
The people want to have their ears tickled. So they will accumulate for themselves teachers, sure, in accordance to their own desires. So what they do now, they pick out the kind of people they want to listen to. They'll pick out the style. They'll pick out what kind of communication techniques they're going to use. They'll pick out the ones they've already agreed on the doctrine. Or they'll pick out guys, and maybe some gals, that will not communicate any of the hard truths of Scripture, but all the love God, hate Satan, let's all go home and sing Kumbaya or something. And he says, that's what the world is coming to. And most of you that have been around Christianity long enough probably know that it seems like there is a tsunami of this coming on today. All you've got to do is turn to not one, not two, but multiple Christian radio stations right here on our own island. And you listen to them all day long on one and all day long on the other. You're going to find so much contradiction. No wonder the world looks at us and say they don't have their act together, even in their thinking, their theology. And so it's important to be able to do this. Now let me add this. When you're going to a particular church and you're selecting them, the first thing is, is, yeah, you could look at the cleanliness of the nursery and if they've uh, done all the stuff in the bathrooms and if there's a lot of nice people in the lanai laughing and talking and getting along with one another. All that is important. But I'm finding now that um, those things often are a byproduct of what is accurately done from the, from the pulpit. Now, I'm going to be careful on that. Some people want to pick out churches. Are they informal? Are they not formal? Do they wear ties? Do they wear Aloha shirts? Or what they've got in their music and whether they use drama or PowerPoints or none or however they do that. I guess now that I've been on the radio here for a number of years, but been on the radio since 1980, literally, I know it's a long time. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.